Today's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor who just launched a fantastic new feature called SeatGeek Marketplace. SeatGeek has always allowed you to buy great tickets for sporting events and concerts. Starting now, it allows you to sell your tickets too. Selling tickets on SeatGeek is simple and easy. You won't get hijacked by ridiculous after-the-sale costs that other sites charge. Go to SeatGeek.com BS to learn how to buy and sell tickets on SeatGeek. Today's episode is also brought to you by Simply Safe, the best way to protect your home without writing huge checks or signing long-term contracts with no way out. Why would you want a home security system that gives you 24-7 protection for just $14.99 per month? You know what the answer is? You would want that security system. That's less than half what most companies charge. Visit simplysafebuild.com and get an exclusive offer for 10% off. Finally, a home security system you can trust. Again, that's simplysafebill.com and we're off. Yeah. Clear enough for you. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you picture us rolling? Can you see me rolling? As promised for weeks on Twitter, uh, one of my favorite podcast guests from from the old podcast and now his first time on the new podcast, the esteemed NBA thinker slash gambler slash strategist slash savant, Harala Bob Volgaris. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Bill? You're calling from a remote location, which we won't name. That's not in the United States. You've been holed up. You've created some crazy TV cave. I'm guessing you're watching all these different games and... Nothing makes me happier that that they've added a whole bunch of possibly overmatched NBA coaches for your Twitter feed. It's it's just been glorious. How much have you been enjoying this? It's crazy. I watch. Um, yeah, I've been watching the the Thunder, and nothing has made me long for Scotty Brooks more than watching <laughs> <laughs> Billy Donovan stumble through an NBA season. Um, it's, it's, it's wild. It's. I, I, I don't know what the exact number is, and I'm sure it's online, but I'd love to know how many college coaches have come over the NBA and not just been a disaster in the first season. And it makes sense because going from college to the NBA from a strategy standpoint, from a speed standpoint, all the different, how hard everyone works, the kind of staff you have to have, I get all that stuff, but they just don't have the background with the teams. You know, like you take somebody like Popovich, He's been in the league for, what, 27 straight years, counting when he was an assistant. He knows every person on every team and what they do. And to expect Billy Donovan to go in blind and not have that background is is a huge disadvantage. But what else is going on? Uh, yeah, someone asked me, they, they said, what's the hardest adjustment that a college coach needs to make to, to get to the NBA, to start coaching in the NBA? And I said, learning a new sport. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's not the same at all. There's no comparison whatsoever. I mean, I mean, it isn't. There's just no comparison at all. There's. I'd rather see Vivek coach an NBA team than another college coach. Yeah, I mean, at least he'd have the background of having gone to NBA games for the last four years. Because in college, you know, you're playing the same coaches year after year, but the teams are always changing. So everybody has a quote unquote system that they stick to, and yep. they use this system and they recruit players for the system. Unless it's you know, unless it's Kentucky and it's a but even the gameplay is is forgetting all of that. Just watching the games, like if you were yeah. to watch, you wouldn't think you would you would like they'd be like, what is this other sport called that they're playing? I get it, it's like basketball, but there's a, the shot clock is different, the rules are different, the three point line makes the court so compacted. There's no idea of like stretching the floor when the three point line is like all the way into the paint almost. 
Yeah, and the, so it's just a completely different different animal altogether. Yeah, and the players are less sophisticated as basketball players because they're not their hoops IQ isn't where it's going to be five years from now. I was thinking about this last night, watching my man Ben Simmons in LSU. I know you don't follow college, but no. Ben Simmons is my favorite college player in nine years. Not just because we have the last name. I mean, the, his last name was the reason I started watching, but um, came to appreciate just how different he is. And the thing that makes him different is his hoops IQ the way he passes, like he passes at the level of potentially bird magic, LeBron, like the way he sees the court, he's just at a higher level. And to watch him stuck in college basketball games where everyone's just jacking up threes and there's no rhyme or reason, anything that happens. And you have this guy who's at a completely different basketball intellectual level. It made me think like, God, this is such a stupid, stupid way to do that sport. You know, you put this guy in there, you can't even, totally figure out how to make his teammates better um then you watch something like the warriors and i would guess the warriors are like your wet dream for a basketball situation right it's everything you wanted a basketball team to do am i wrong yeah for sure i mean there there's other teams that you have that as well but you combine just like the once in a generational type talent like steph curry's like how could you not watch every that's must see tv for me is watching every warriors game for sure what do they do that can't be emulated? Um, well, people are talking about you know copying their small ball death lineup, and it just—I mean, you you just can't you you can't do what they're doing because you don't have Draymond Green on your team. You don't have Andre Iguodala who can basically shut down the other team's best perimeter player, and then you have a center, your guy playing center who's actually a, an undersized power forward playing center who can also switch out and, and, and guard the point guard or guard the shooting guard or bang with the big in the paint. And yeah, they're just, it's, it, they're just different. And on top of that, they have, you know, when they play that lineup, one through five are like not just, you know, they're not great. All of them aren't great three-point shooter, but collectively the group is just a great three-point shooting team. So you can't defend them at all. Um, you know, people talk about what you need is you need like, a, you know, a big who can shoot and a rim, run, rim running big if you want to play like that four out basketball or the, the, you know, the one down four out. So you need a rim runner. And Draymond Green's the rim runner, but he's also the guy who can pop and shoot threes. So he's just a really rare player. He's like the perfect guy for them. Um, so they just do so many things right. But a lot of it is just they're just blessed with like a perfect group of players that can play, to, play well together. Yeah, I so I saw them in person, the Clippers last week, and which I already talked about on the pod last week with Joe House. But the the one thing I forgot to mention, you know, on the face of it, you think, oh my God, another Clippers collapse. We've seen a million of them. I've watched that particular Clippers home game twenty times. I've been to that game over and over again, where they just fall apart. The offense gets stiff. Blake gets that weird look on his face, and I, I've been to those games. But I do think that when you play the Warriors the fear of giving up open threes and especially like the Warriors are so good when, it, when it's chaotic, you know, is there a better player in the history of basketball in pure chaos than Steph Curry? Because all of a sudden he's shooting a three and, 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 and you know, in less than a second it can happen. And I, and what I realized as I was watching the game was the Clippers spend so much mental energy worrying about Clay Thompson getting open for a second or Steph Curry or, any sort of fast break situation off a rebound, I do think it wears them down mentally. It wears down any team because you, yeah. you just you're playing differently. You're at a different mental level of urgency and and fear, 
And I think that's one of the reasons that that lineup of death is so good at the end of the games. I think the other team's just worn out. Or what do you think? What do you think of that yeah, I theory? I think that's part of it. I think I think that's definitely a part of it. It's just it's just too hard to defend that team because you can't like what teams started doing what what um what what the Cleveland kind of started doing was they started just doubling Curry on that pick. Yeah. And then when Golden State figured out, like, oh, we can just give the ball. It was actually David Lee who kind of started it, where he just made the pass of David Lee, and David Lee would, like, kind of drive a little bit, then kick to a wide-open three-point shooter in the corner. Yeah. That's kind of how, when when um, Cleveland was up two games to one in that series, and and then they won that game, or it was, like, tied, but they won that game, and you could see that in that in the third game, Golden State kind of figured out like, oh, we can we can just do this when they double, and yeah. now that's what happened in the Clippers here. They they did that, and then there was just wide open three pointer for Harrison Barnes, wide open three pointer for Andre Iguodala, wide open three pointer here and there, and so there really is no way to defend them um, within the rules that can take away everything. So it's it's you just have to. I think like in order to beat them, you need like a lot of things to go well. One of which is you need the referees basically to just adopt like prison rules right. where you can mug Stephen Curry, you can like hold him. And Rivers did that for a little bit. And Paul did that also. If you watch the start of that game, they were just completely mugging him. Um, oh, it wasn't just the start of the game. It was four quarters. And I kept, I my da- brought my daughter and I kept pointing out to her, look how hard Stephen Curry has to has to just break up. It's almost like watching a receiver trying to break open from a defensive back. They were mauling him for four quarters. Yeah, I'm not sure what you do to beat them, to be honest. I think like you have to be able to crash the boards on offense. You have to be able to play really good defense. And then you just have to get... You have to, I mean, that three-point shot's up. It's a high-variance shot for most teams. It's less variance with Golden State because you know when someone is shooting like... I don't know what Steph shot from the corner last year, from the left corner or the right corner, but it was ridiculous. I mean, there's not much variance in his shot. It's worth, like, when he takes a shot, it's just worth, like, 1.5 points if it's open. Yeah. So there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of variance there. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough to beat them for sure. I'm not sure exactly. I mean, I don't know the answer, but even if I did know the answer, I don't think I would. I, I, don't, I don't know the answer, so it doesn't matter. But, yeah, I have no idea how you would defend them. I guess you just have to, def- you just have to really play that situation where you just hope that Steph you can mug Steph and you can really bump him and hit him and hurt him everywhere he goes and then just hope they don't make the correct pass to the big who can then make another pass to another guy who either has like a wide open three or, a, or an open dunk uh, an open lane to the basket am I crazy to think that that DeAndre Jordan just shouldn't play in any relevant crunch time situation against that Warriors team that they should I was sitting at the game and I and I'm not a Josh Smith fan but I felt like they would have had a better chance if they had gone semi-small with Josh at the five. At least they would have been a little more athletic. I don't see how any conventional center works against that the small ball lineup of death. I think, um, I think like, I don't think that I, the problem is like you have to match up with them, and they're just going to be better at it than you are. Right. Like I don't actually like Josh Smith at the five. I, I actually like Blake at the five. All right, do that. So but, who's but, so then? Who are the other four guys? That's the problem. They don't have the right. don't have anyone else to stick up for. They have, they don't have it. So they, if they had a decent three, then who could play four? Then you could do that. But I mean, what? So let's say you go small and you play Josh Smith. That might work too. But like the ideal lineup would be like Blake and then four three-point shooters. Um, that would actually be like the ideal lineup. But they don't. I mean, Paul Pierce is a corpse at this point, so that's not going to work. 
uh, I don't want Jamal Crawford playing. I don't want Austin Rivers playing. Like Lance, Lance Stevenson, they don't play. They just they're not going to beat that team. Chris Paul's got to play out of his mind on both ends, and they're going to have to do it with their standard lineup in some ways. Because I guess you could play Josh Smith and just hope that he has like one of those games he had versus them uh, when they put when you know when he was with Houston. But I don't I don't know that I would want to. I mean, I just I just think it's a lost cause. That team isn't going to isn't going to be gold. Yeah, that team's not beating them. But the Spurs are kind of interesting for this conversation because they they could play small ball lineups against them, but ultimately, if they threw out Duncan and Aldridge and Kawhi, and if you know Danny Green or whatever two guard you'd want, and then Parker would be the big kind of litmus test guy. Because he's not the same guy anymore. He's, you know, he he's to say he's past his prime. I think is totally fair. Um, but with the Aldridge Duncan taking turns posting up, that would at least make the Warriors work on defense and maybe use up some energy. They haven't played yet, and that's the I want to see that game more than any other NBA game right now. I want to see what the Spurs do against them, and even. Do you even think they would throw their A game at the Warriors this early, or would they try to do the thing where they're going to disguise it until the playoffs? That would be the smart thing, disguising it till the playoffs. Um, it's it's interesting. I think the Spurs are going a different way. Like if you look at the way they're playing this season versus how they played in 2014, yeah, it's completely different. And I don't. I'm just speculating, but I feel like maybe they they don't seem like a team that would want to set up their roster just to beat Golden State. But if you look at the situation of where their their current roster is in terms of the age of their like core players, who they deem their core players, like I'm talking about Manu, Tony Parker, and Tim Duncan, they're all pretty old. So if they want like one last title run versus Golden State, it's probably not going to be. I don't know. I mean, maybe they could do it with Diaw. I personally think that's their best their best option. But they went and signed Aldridge, and they're playing a lot of big lineups, and they're playing pretty slow. Uh, that could be a function of them trying to get. Lamarcus into the fold and figure out exactly what he can do and just get you know they just start slow and and ramp up as they go, but it could also be that they've decided they're going to beat this team with skilled bigs versus small players, and that might be interesting. I, the problem with the Spurs is I don't think they have. I don't know. I'm I don't think they have the shooting when they play that lineup to actually force a team to have to defend them in the way that they need to be defended. It'll be interesting. I don't know. I I do think that if they that they're going to treat the regular season game versus Golden State like they treat every regular season game. It's just a throwaway. Yeah. But I do think it's dangerous if they think they're going to get to the playoffs and not have a two-seat because there are other teams in the West that could potentially beat them in the series and not having at least home court. They're not going to have home court advantage versus Golden State. That's just not going to happen barring an injury. Um, But if they feel like they're not also going to have home, home court advantage versus some of the other teams in the West, it could be a problem. But the West is kind of... Everyone will talk about how great the West was. Yeah, it's not through, anymore. And now you're you're yeah. watching these teams play, and you're like, is 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 Dallas the third best team in the West right now? Who who else in the West is good? There's really Memphis is not playing well. They're they're not a good team. Uh, the Clippers, Clippers are a mess. Houston's a yeah. mess. Houston, yeah, I mean you don't want to talk about Houston. right? Yeah, now. yeah. Wait, we got to save that. I had a point on San Antonio. I actually think that they just had a chance to get Aldridge and they were trying to set up the next seven, eight years here. And this was kind of the weird transition year. And I was guilty of it too. I thought, oh my God, like that that's a team that can win the title. And then you watch them 
and the pieces don't totally fit yet. Popovich is so smart, he'll figure it out. I'm not sure what their best lineup is. And the, and the thing that I'm going to be fascinated by is whether Duncan's out there in crunch time when it really matters. Because I don't know if you can play Aldridge and Duncan together against that Warriors team. They might be able to. And it might be the best bet anyone has to beat the Warriors. Or it might just be way too slow. Because I'm with you. I was I was surprised by the uh, the speed difference from where they were two years ago. They... Two years ago, they laid out the prototype for what the Warriors are doing now in that finals. And the Warriors took that prototype and blew it up and supersized it and did it with a better transcendent offensive player. But um, now it's like I w- the team I'm watching when I watch the Spurs now is more in line with the 80s, 90s basketball. Like 80s, 90s basketball, but if they appreciated three-point shooting more. Does that make sense? And spacing. But yeah. it's still kind of the, the, the size of that team is more like what, what we grew up with. And I, I'm not positive that's going to work in 2016. I mean, yeah, I think they've I – don't, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but I, like my instinct is that they've decided this is how they're going to win is to try – I mean, it's, it's, there is an inefficiency in basketball where if you look at every team is trying to do – not every team, but like that's like they call it Mori ball, right? This is the smart way to play. You just take threes and layups. That's all you do is take threes and layups, which is like a great strategy in a vacuum. Right. It becomes less of a great strategy if you tell the league that that's all you're going to do. Yeah. It's like if you're playing poker and you're like, I'm only going to play pocket pairs and aces. <laughs> that's all I'm going to play. Right. And then now you're playing someone and the flush comes up there and they're like, oh, well. Maybe I shouldn't have told everyone that I'm only going to play, play pocket pairs and, and I'm only going to re-raise pre-flop with aces. So I do feel like that's kind of a little bit of hubris. It's a little bit silly to, to, to go with this strategy and expect it to work when other teams know that's exactly what you're going to do. Um, and then, so anyways, my point is the Spurs are actually shooting. They went and found, I don't know that that's what they wanted to do. Obviously, LaMarcus Aldridge does more than just hit mid-range jumpers. But he's a, he's a deadly mid-range he's actually efficient at the mid-range game he's actually good at it yeah uh, his mid-range shots like almost worth a point so um it's it's interesting that they went and found him and that he also happens to be the type of shot that most defenses are willing to give up most teams are willing to just give up that open two-point shot now they're selling out on the on the on the three-point shot and so i don't know it, it could be it could be a situation where people are going to be talking about how hot the spurs run in the playoff series with LaMarcus just never missing a shot from the mid-range. Kind of like what happened the year Portland beat Houston. Um, was that two years ago? Yeah, 2013, I think. Yeah. Or 14, um, maybe two or three years ago. Or what, what, yeah, what I would call yeah, what I would call the 2014 season. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, people would be like, oh, you know, uh, you know Houston, Portland beat us, but man, they ran so good on those long twos. But I don't know. I don't know that they did. I mean, the shots were open. If you watch players warm up in a basketball game before the game starts, most of them hit those open shots. It's a question of, like, do you want to have a high-volume shooter like Marcus Aldridge hitting those mid-range shots, or do you want someone like DeMar DeRozan who's shooting at, like, 0.75 or something per shot? There's a, there's a difference between who's shooting him. So it is interesting. I don't know if the Spurs are going to want to play big against Golden State, what they're going to do. But we're a long ways away from the playoffs, and they have a long— You know, where I really look at the Spurs is I always like to watch that rodeo road trip. Yeah. Because that's when that team comes together. Then you can kind of get an idea as to what they're looking to do and what they're hoping to accomplish. Because that's historically been when the team has bonded and gone on their runs is right around that time. Yeah, that's a team I don't 
I don't, I'm always hesitant to judge in the first three months of the season because they've proven over and over again, they just don't care and they're going to tinker and they're going to experiment. One thing's interesting though, last year, offensive efficiency, 106.2 defensive, defensive efficiency, 99.6. So then you go to this year, the offensive efficiency is down to 103.4. So basically drop three points, but the defense is down 94.1, which dropped five points. So do Which you, team are you talking about? The Spurs? Yeah, the Spurs. So when you watch them, do you feel like they're better defensively this year? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, I mean, a lot of it has to do with who they've played. It's early. But just watching them play the individual games, they're, they're, they're happy playing two bigs. I mean, yeah. it's not just LaMarcus Aldridge. They're happy playing like... I mean, to me, their best lineup the year they played the Clippers and lost, which was last year, uh, was DL and Kawhi. That was like Kawhi at the four... Whether it was Dio at the five or or Duncan at the five, but Kawhi at the four was their best lineup. That was the lineup that was going to beat the Clippers, and they never played it at all, which was, to me, like a big fail. Yeah, I didn't uh, like how he coached that series. Yeah, but this year it seems like they're going a lot bigger. Um, or, I don't know, yeah, it, it's interesting. They have they've have been a lot better defensively. They've... I mean, LaMarcus is a, is, a, is a good defensive power forward. So yeah. when he's not playing the five, he's going to play really good defense. And Duncan is still playing at like a great level. So it, I don't, it's... And he'll be... They're fra- kind of going back to their old Twin Towers type style when they had... Yeah, uh, D-Rob. Yeah. Yeah, Duncan. It's kind of interesting watching them zag when, or zig when everyone else is, is zagging. It's, it's, it's definitely a... It's definitely will be interesting to see what happens later on in the year. They played the Celtics and... The thing that they have this year that they just didn't have last year was Aldridge just took over the game and made some shots, and the Celtics couldn't stop him. You have that combined with, you know, people made a little too much of it that Kawhi's feeling himself offensively, and it's like, yeah, he's he's going to have more individual games maybe than he did last year. I'm still not sold on him being totally comfortable as a guy who's going to have to create constantly. And that was... You know, they lost that Clipper series for two reasons last year. One was Parker just played poorly. And the the way that offense hinged on him at the point of the of the career that he was at was probably a little unfair to him. But Kawhi wasn't a hundred percent ready to just take over yet. And he was the one who had the matchups in that series. He I felt like going to those games, I felt like he could go by whoever was guarding him anytime he wanted. And he just wasn't quite ready for it. And now I wonder this year, if he's a little more ready than he was last year, combined with the Aldridge thing, combined with Duncan, who always is going to have those throwback games, if you talk about a seven-game playoff series, that becomes very tough. Now the flip side is, you play the Warriors in a seven-game playoff series, and four games they're going to shoot the lights out. So what do you do there? You have to win one of those four games. Yeah, you know, have to. It, I mean, it happened. It happened. Uh... Curry struggled a little bit in in the finals, so it, it can happen. Um, that felt didn't that feel like I know this is body language and not your forte, more my more my for, bullshit forte of basketball angles, but I just felt like they were rattled those first couple games. I think the stage got really big for them. You know, and I've seen it happen with basketball teams where you saw it in the ninety five Orlando that stage, Nick Anderson missed those free throws. All of a sudden, that stage got really big. They had more talent in that in that finals. But sometimes young teams, they kind of freeze. And the, the litmus test guy for, for me with them is Draymond. Because if he's not strutting around and doing Draymond things and playing with that swagger and doing that alpha dog thing, they, they, they kind of feed off him. 
those first two games, he had deer in the headlights. Sure. And well, it's it, it's natural if you think of all the teams that have kind of made the leap. Yeah. You don't usually win the first time you go to the finals. I mean, no. it happens. No. But but usually you and, and not just that, but you usually don't roll through an entire season the first time your team is dominant and then also win the finals. I mean, the Celtics did it. Uh, there are examples. There's plenty of. Examples. But remember, remember the Celtics though. How nervous they were the first two rounds. They the Cavs almost beat them, and the Hawks took them to seven. Yeah, you know they, they were getting tight in those game. road they games. Lost every road game. <laughs> yeah, the first first three rounds, I think. Yeah, I was okay. going crazy. Hold on, Bob. We got to take care of a little business here. I uh, I know I have trouble finding shirts that look good untucked. I'm not sure about you, but I know I have trouble, and that's been one of the biggest problems in men's fashion for years well not anymore untuckit.com solved that problem by making shirts that are specifically designed to be worn untucked long enough to fit comfortably over the belt buckle short enough to keep a portion of the pant bucket pocket exposed impeccable craftsmanship intention to detail make untucked shirts the only choice for the untucked man visit untuckit.com and learn why gq called them perfection you can even use the promo code bs15 for 15% off all your purchases. That's untuckit.com, promo code BS, back to basketball. Let's yeah. talk, um, I'm going to remove myself from this question. Okay. I've given my checkered history with the man. Is Doc Rivers a good basketball coach? Um, I don't know. There's like, I, I think everyone but the best five coaches are bad basketball coaches. <laughs> I'm probably the, the wrong person to ask because I... But I mean, I don't. He's not a strategist by any stretch. He's not like someone who's going to, like, really make a great adjustment in the middle of a game. And I mean, he's like a a rah rah motivate, get the team going, players coach. But no, I don't think he's a great basketball coach. But hey, there's 25 other coaches in the NBA that aren't great basketball coaches. But just by the definition that they're NBA basketball coaches, they have to be great in some ways because they made it to that level. But no, I don't think so. I've never watched an, a Doc Rivers coached playoff game and thought to myself, wow, this guy really, really made a great move there. Or wow. I mean, even the games right. they won, it was, it was, you can, you can sit there and, and, and rag on Chris Paul all you want, but game seven, they beat the Spurs. That was just a game where his players just kind of went wild. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't think his like. I just look at it from an outsider's perspective, and I don't know. Let's say I don't know anything about the in-game strategy or anything about the stuff he's doing. I just look at how he's conducting himself on the bench. Yeah. I don't know that that's someone who I would think is like a steady hand who's going to like right the ship. Like if I if, if I'm like a captain of a sh- of a boat and there's water coming in everywhere, like I don't want that guy be the guy who's in charge of making sure that we don't like sink. Because so, he just looks like a maniac when he's out there. He's yelling. He's complaining about everything. Yeah. He's just. He's just. He's like the complete opposite of like someone who I would think would be like a great leader in that sense. But it's. I don't he, know. I mean, I. I don't know. I'm not in the locker room. I don't know what's going on. But I just feel like the whining and the complaining has just man has just actually. It, he he went to a team that already whined and complained a lot. Yeah, and, and, he, then, and he poured and gravy like, and barbecue sauce on it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he lit the. He just poured more gasoline on that. He um something happened in that Clipper game that I've never. I don't think I've ever seen. I've been going to basketball games for forty years. I don't even know how many games I've been to in my life. But he got a technical. It was the second technical the Clips got in the second quarter because they a couple calls went against them. They reacted as horribly as they always do, and Doc ended up getting a technical. And Pierce came over and yelled at him. 
And Pierce I was thought- on the court. He was playing. I've never seen a player like yell at his coach in a disappointed way. Like, what are you doing? You just you don't, you just killed us. You got us technical. I was like, wow, I've never seen that ever. I've never seen that. I've never even heard of that before. Yeah. I want to go back and see that. That's crazy. And then Pierce was so mad at the two technicals when they were shooting the free throws and or they're shooting the technical free throw. He pulled the other four Clippers over away from the Clippers bench on the other side, like where you sit when you sit courtside and just yelled at all four of them. And that's the stuff. That's why I agree with you, Paul Pierce. I don't know if he's 100% done yet. I think he's going to play himself into shape as the season goes. I don't think he's in 100% great shape yet. He's clearly on the other side of the mountain. There's no question. But I do think he's an adult on a team that desperately needed adults. But what what you were talking about, Doc Rivers, there's two things about him as a coach that I think are – I don't know if they set him apart, but just make him different in a good way. One is that – he had the balls to bench DeAndre in game seven of that Spurs series last year in the last six minutes. And the number of coaches who actually would have had the balls to do that is less than five. What do you mean? We just sat him. He, you know, DeAndre's in a contract year. He's been playing great. Um, you know, you're risking potentially, let's say you lose that game and DeAndre got benched for the last six but minutes. When did he start? He, but I mean, that's kind of when everyone. Has been, that's when everyone who's coached DeAndre has benched him around that time. It's it's like Del, Vinny Del Negro did it too. It's no, I'm with like, you. It's just the contract year. I thought it was risky. I thought I thought it was had more to do with him being terrified of them hacking him than anything else. Oh, it 100 percent did. He didn't want yeah. him to get fouled, but to do that in a game seven, I thought was was kind of bold. I don't know. Sure. Wait, it's, the, it's, um, the downside was just DeAndre getting mad and leaving. <laughs> you know, which actually happened anyway. I mean, he did yeah. leave for 24 hours. He ended up left and came back. The thing about Paul Pierce is that I think you might be right, but he just, he, you know, he had some success last year in the playoffs. It was playing the four. Yeah. And I think what it is, is he's, he didn't play the four at all during the regular season last year, very rarely. And I think that's kind of the plan this year is just not to have him play the four because he's not going to be able to take the banging of playing, you know, guarding power forwards for an entire season. No. But in the meantime, in the interim, he can't guard any threes at all. Like he can't keep any of I don't know any amount of getting into game shape is gonna change that. He just doesn't his just his just his brain is telling him to move and his body's reacting a little bit a little bit later. He had a scary moment in the end of that Golden State game when he drove to the basket and it was like the old guy in the pickup game drive where he jumped up and it was he basically threw it against the backboard. I yeah. act, I wouldn't I wouldn't have minded if they did the same thing I thought Denver should have done with Peyton Manning. And what Houston did with Roger Clemens in the mid two thousands, we're just you just shelve the guy until <laughs> until the halfway mark of the season. Like they, you could argue Pierce would just be better off showing up in February and just not putting <laughs> any of these miles on him. The sure. the one other thing Doc did that I always appreciated and thought was really smart was in Game Seven of the two thousand ten Finals, him and Thibodeau designed this plan to basically. To, to dupe Kobe into playing hero ball, even though they were stacking the deck against him for hero ball, they just double teamed him the whole game, knowing that it was a game seven and Kobe would want to shoot and that he wouldn't be like, you know what? I'm drawing double teams. I'm going to get other guys involved. They knew it was a game seven. They knew how he was wired. They're like, let's send two guys at him. He's going to shoot anyway. And he did. Yeah. And it yeah. worked. And they were up 15 with two minutes left in the third quarter, you know? And, I always thought that was really smart. I don't know if a lot of coaches would have done that. I, th- I think Doc is an above-average coach. Stuff, 
I think a lot. I think all a lot of the smart stuff, though, it's really hard to separate some of these coaches from their assistants. True. And and I mean, when you have a great defense and you have Kevin Garnett in his not quite his prime, but the year they won the championship, and then oh, you have the best assistant. You know, one of the best assistant defensive coaches in the history Ever. of the game. Yeah. You know, it's it's. It, what what is it? What does that say about you as a coach? First of all, you're not really coaching the defense. That's not your philosophy. That's someone else's philosophy. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it is. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm harder on these coaches than anyone, I think. But I I don't put them at the bottom. So. Right. So how do you fix it? How do you fix that team? Because something's clearly wrong with that team. So what do you do? I mean, the problem with that team is is what happened since he got there. Uh, and made all like when he started getting the actual ability to be the GM as well. That was the problem. Now it's just too late. Now you, what do you do? I don't know. You make a trade, maybe. I'm not sure who you would trade. I'm not sure what you have in terms of what other players. There just there just really isn't much you can do. I think if you look at the, the everyone's like, oh, they they bolstered their bench. Well, they added Paul Pierce, Lance Stevenson, who's already out, and Wesley Johnson, and they re-signed Austin Rivers. Yeah. And Austin Rivers is supposedly their best perimeter defender, if you believe the head coach. He's the backup point guard. He doesn't eats the backup point guard. He doesn't pass. They have. It's funny. They have like they don't have a backup point guard. They, no. they play like they play Jamal Crawford and him together, and Jamal Crawford doesn't pass. No. And he's supposed to be the point guard, and Austin Rivers doesn't pass, and he is the point guard, and it's like I don't. It's the worst combo. Of, I mean, I don't know. There's nothing really they can do. They're, they're. It's just you. It's just they're, they're due for another epic collapse. Where, I mean, to me, the it, it's a done deal. Barring injury, Golden State is rolling through the playoffs. They, they might have a tough time with the Spurs. That would be the only team, and I think that's it's fair to say that might is, is maybe an understatement. They might have a lot of trouble with the Spurs, but there's no other team that's going to beat them. And and in, in, in the West and in the East, Cleveland's really good too. I mean, well, let me let me knock on wood for a second, though, because we should mention Golden State's got incredible injury luck for the last fifteen months. And I don't know if it's incredible injury luck. I mean, their starting center did go down; uh, has been injured forever. You see, the now, one of the Golden, five but, most I mean, viable guys in that team. No, it isn't. But it's 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 like, look, if if your best player gets injured, you got unlucky. And if your best player doesn't get injured, and I guess you could say that they're top two or three players, but a lot of it also has to do with the fact they're blowing these other teams up. True. So they're they're resting in fourth quarters. They're not playing in fourth quarters at all. So is it really that lucky that that's 10 fewer minutes that you can get injured? It's 10 fewer minutes of of wear and tear on your body that you're playing a game. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's lucky, but it's not like it's, oh, my God, they're so lucky. I don't mean lucky as like, I can't believe I won the lottery. I just feel. No, I, understand. But I wasn't I, really referring to. I was talking to more just like the general. No, I know. Around the league, where oh my god, they were so lucky. Look how healthy they were. Well, okay, the team who wins is usually healthy. Yeah, yeah. The, there's like no you question. Can't blame them for it. It's. It's usually the team that doesn't win can always point to some sort of bad injury break they have ninety percent of the time. The one thing though, the way basketball is being played now, and I don't think enough's been made of this. And this is one of my weird pet theories. I've talked about it before, but going to these games and just watching how they're played now, I think that it's so much harder on these guys' bodies than it used to be. Like, go watch any game from 1984. These guys, like, barely tried on defense <laughs> till the fourth quarter. And it was, paid in, it was played in a pickup game type base. Now it's 
to to have to just sprint out as fast as you possibly can on a three-point shooter 30 times a game on top of all the other stuff these guys are doing i, I it's just a it's a different level of intensity and i don't think it's a it's a, going to be a surprise that more and more of these guys are going to get injured because yeah i think it's, I, I don't it's think it's good for their bodies yeah it's also like the the pick and roll is a violent it's it's oh, a yeah. part of the game and people are running like four or five pick and rolls a possession sometimes. So, but there's also been the advances in medicine that has allowed, not just in medicine, but just in analytics that have allowed teams to like, you know, put little tracking devices on the back of players' jerseys in practice to monitor their loads. And, yep. and then there's a sport view cameras that are tracking how fast they're moving and, Hey, this player's not moving fast anymore. Let's, let's maybe give them a rest. So, you know, the, there's some teams that are actually treating the basketball court like a laboratory in that sense. The Spurs being one of them, they were the leaders in that. And then now if you look at what the Mavericks are doing where nobody's playing at all, Chandler Parsons just going to play the first half in this game or the second half of the next game. Right. That has stuff like that has never really been seen before. So I, I think, I think like for the, some teams it's, it's, it's tough. And then for the other teams who are ahead of the curve, they're finding ways to negate that a little bit. You know, I, I've had multiple people tell me that this is the great kind of untapped resource that that the smarter teams are looking at more than anything right now is preventative injury maintenance during a season ways to monitor exactly how much energy your guys are expending every game training um different training all that stuff you know you talk about 10 years ago and people were trying to figure out how to change basketball where certain things that you could do to get an edge and now that seems where everybody, uh, the smarter teams, that's where they're putting their resources. And I, maybe, the, I don't know who gets credit for starting that. Maybe the Spurs? Who do you think? Um, yeah, the Spurs would be, I mean, the Mavericks would definitely be in there. Yeah. For sure. Those would be the two teams. I mean, the Celtics, I don't know that that's necessarily what they're doing, but they have a deep team who's, who you know, nobody's really playing a lot of minutes. That's another team that you'd have to say. Um, and that's that. that's one of the reasons they wanted to have a deep team because then if Marcus Smart goes out, you have, you know, they didn't care. People in the the old way of thinking about it was you never wanted to have too many guys because everyone's there's not going to be enough minutes for everybody. Somebody's going to be unhappy. And now I think people have drifted into this. Look, eighty two games. It's a long season. You're better off playing thirty minutes than you are thirty six and stuff like that. It's it's interesting. I also think the Warriors, you mentioned how they're blowing teams out. That's good. Doesn't put miles in their body. They also shoot more threes, they less free throws, stuff like that. The way they play doesn't necessarily lend itself to injury like that. The one thing that would lend itself to injury more is that small ball lineup of death. But they're so smart with the fact that they only use it as the hammer. They don't put those miles on those guys until the six-minute mark, which... I don't know who came up with that idea, but let's send him a medal because that's really smart. Yeah. I think a lot of the stuff just happened by happenstance. It just started and it kind of worked. And like any, like any great innovation, it, sometimes it, it just happens by luck. And then you go, oh, this works. And then being smart enough to be aware of what, what is working and, and sticking with it is part, is part of it for sure. So quickly, Houston, is that salvageable? What are you seeing when you watch them? I'm seeing a team that's not getting any separation at all from their defenders and still hoisting shots like they're shooting so many contested threes they've had some open ones too um the problem with houston is i think they in, they injected a player who uh they, they 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 put lawson in there who's used to having the ball 
and they made him like an off guard. And he's this not really a terrible a idea. Floor, yeah, not really a great floor spacer. And then the other problem is, is that you have Harden is shooting. His usage rate is even higher than it was last. He's, he's had a career high usage rate, which means he's using up more possessions, like the end of the possession, uh, than he ever than he ever has in his in his Houston career, anyways. Um, for any any for anyone any any his whole career. And then he's actually shooting more three pointers than he ever has. At the end of his, so he's he's. He just doesn't look like he's in shape. Like, I don't know what he did during the offseason. He's not. not. They said yeah. when he came into camp that he wasn't in shape. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like he did the the ETV reality tour summer. Uh, had a great time. Enjoyed the summer. But you compare that to someone like Steph who won a championship and came back and improved this game. It's kind of disappointing. If I'm the owner of that team, I would be a little bit disappointed in that. Now, yeah, especially now when you were a number two MVP candidate and you made the Western Finals. And if Dwight hadn't been hurt in that series, who knows? It might have gone seven. You know, sure. like you're pretty close. Yeah, yeah. At that point. Uh, so I don't know if it's. I mean, it's not a. It's not a lost cause, but in terms of like, is it salvageable? They've got kind of a miss. They've got like a group of ragtag players. They don't really have anyone other than him, who you can say. I mean, okay, so you take away Dwight, and you take away James Harden. That team wins what? Maybe twenty five games. Yeah, I mean, you could make the same case with OKC, right? You and I both are not a fan of the four through twelve guys in that team. Baca, right? I mean, they have that one other player who's good. True, true. Who does Houston? It just it falls completely off a cliff after after Dwight, who's kind of a shell of himself, anyways, and out of shape James Harden, who may or may not be out of shape, but who definitely isn't getting a lot of step. He's not getting to the free throw line as much. He's not getting the separation. He's not creating the open shots. Um, I thought when they got Lawson, I thought for you know they gave up barely anything. The guy has a variety of personal problems, and I thought they were just bringing him in as like, look, we're going to ease you back into this. You're just going to run our second unit eight minutes a half, and that's all we want from you. And once we get to February, March, we'll figure it out. They brought him in, and he was playing like 35, 40 minutes a game, and as you said, standing in the corner watching James Harden. I also wonder, you know, it was a little unpredictable last year when you watched him. Not unpredictable, but it felt new. The whole James Harden, the offense revolves around him, and they kind of mastered that whole style offense. Now I wonder if the league's just a little more used to it and kind of has more wrinkles to throw at it, you know? Possibly. I do think that if he performed like he was performing last year, he would be... It'd be the same. Yeah, I mean the the thing about their offense, they have these offensive collapses in the in the second half and the fourth quarter of games. And if you look at their offense, it's primarily composed of three point shots, and that's 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 nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But I do feel like a lot of the threes they're taking in the fourth quarter of games are good shots. But it seems like the players just aren't in shape for some of these shots, and so. Like the fact that they're missing is, is is probably a function of variance, possibly a function of not being as open, and possibly a function of them just not having legs early in the season, not being in shape. And you see that more in the fourth quarter. They, they've had some really epic collapses versus some teams who have actually played hard, like they against Miami. They just had like a you know a huge collapse. Uh, they collapsed again last week where they just had like a terrible second half. It's happened a few times, and I think. I think part of it is just if you're going to have a guy who plays that many minutes and controls the ball for that long in a game, you have to make sure that he's able to. And I don't think that he's he's physically in the top shape that he should be in. 
And then, and, yeah, the Lawson thing was just a complete mystery to me. I got into arguments with people on Twitter, like, because I think Daryl Morey's super smart. <laughs> and I was just like, there's no chance Daryl's starting this guy. Yeah. There's no chance. He's not, he's not signing him to start a lot. Like, they've got the perfect point guard to complement James Harden, and that's Patrick Beverly, who defends where James doesn't have to defend the other great player, who can actually hit the open shot, who is just like, doesn't need, he's not like a high volume type of player who needs the ball. Why would you give that up and for, for Ty Lawson? And then on top of that, you have like, you had Pablo Prigioni and Jason Terry playing the point last year. How great would it be for your backups? How great would it be to have Ty Lawson play? Right. Which and, is, you and I thought the same thing. 16 minutes a game, he changes the pace. He comes in, he does Ty Lawson things, you take him out. Yeah, you stagger him with, with Harden so that the two don't really overlap that much. And maybe you can play a few minutes together here and there. Yeah. Um, but hey, it's early in the season. They may they decided to change that. I just feel like it's it's yeah, kind of. But let's be honest though. If if Dwight's not the same, that team's a cross off. Dwight was sure. really good in the playoffs last year. If Dwight has now hit the other side of the mountain and physically can't play back to backs, and he's going to have trouble in the playoffs playing seven games in two weeks, then that team's a cross off. I don't. You yeah. know, we never have to have a conversation about them. OKC I'm, to me is is the high ceiling, low basement team. We talked about the coach. We don't know if Durant physically is ever going to be the same. Everybody's just did penciling him, him in. Did you watch him play last night? Did who did? Did you watch him play last night? Okay, see? No, I yeah. didn't see that one. There was Ben Simmons <laughs> and the Patriots around. What happened last night? Tell me. I, he looked like there's nothing wrong with him at all. He hit Good. Of his, he was 10 for 13, uh, was unguardable. Pulling up from three, he looked probably better than as good. I mean, he just looked awesome. So I, if you would have told me he was injured and that was the only game I had watched, I'd be like, what What, was, what did he injure? <laughs> what was wrong with him? I'm because all he, in on Durant. I just, can I see him play two straight months? I just want to see two straight months. He sure. missed the all, he missed all of last year. He had an injury that scares the living shit out of me as a basketball fan. Feet, feet worry me with big guys more than anything. Mm-hmm. And... And then he hurt Tim Grover had a really interesting thing on his uh, website about why Durant had the injury he had this year because of an overcompensation structural thing where you have something wrong on one side of your body and the other side picks up the burden and ends up that side. All this stuff, I'm not saying Durant's never going to be the same. I just want to see him play at that level again for two months. And then I'll feel better. Yeah. I I don't know. That team just – it's just a shame because – they have like those two great players, and th- you know I like Ibaka as well. They have three. I do too. And then they just have absolute bottom of the barrel players filling out the rest of their roster. And a lot of redundancy. You know, for the 90th straight year, they don't have a perimeter guy who just can play defense and shoot 40 percent from three. Right, like the three and D guy. Like they should have yeah. went out and signed Damari Carroll instead of re-signing Cantor if they could have. I know they. Yeah, they've cap wise cap rules that's yeah. different. Can, can you, you can overextend it for your own player, but you can't sign someone else. But I'm sure they could have worked. I mean, the problem is no one's dumb enough to. I mean, they have to find like another Billy King or something like that who think who can think that oh, Ennis Cantor, look at this guy. We can get this guy for this amount of money. Let's get him. <laughs> um, but that those those GMs are in limited supply. Yeah, do you think Portland has any regrets about uh, patching together uh, the bargain basement power forwards and going to get Plumlee and doing those things versus just wasting everything on Enos Cantor? I think like I'm I'm actually pretty confident that that was like a huge gamble on their part. 
that OKC was just going to match. Well, you think they're trying to screw him? Because if they were, yes. I love it. I think I, that's I, great. I, I, I love it. I, that. I really do believe that. I don't know. I mean, look, it, it's, I listened to an interview uh, that their GM uh, their GM gave, whose name is escaping me, which I used to make fun of this guy all the time when he was with the Clippers. And he's actually a really good GM. Neil O'Shea. Yeah, I don't know why. He's actually a really good GM. He is. Um, and I just getting, he either is now playing it off like, oh, yeah, that was the plan all along, in which case he's being disingenuous, or that was the plan all along. And I actually believe it was the plan all along. I think they thought OKC okay, so was going to match because they have to keep Durant and they have to keep Durant happy yep. if they don't. They don't re-sign players. Durant's going to be sad, and he's not going to be. They're going to feel like they're just a, a cheat. Now, they already let James Harden go, and now they got to they got to worry about whether or not Durant's going to stay. And so, I think that was a big part of it. And I think they they just felt like Sam Presti was 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 gonna was gonna match because he thought Canner was actually a good player. I mean, this is the same GM who traded for Dion Waiters and and decided to fill out his roster with Andre Roberson and Kyle Singler. So. Uh, you love Sam Presti, the drafter, and that's about it. Yeah, and I'm, I, I think that like picking Westbrook and turning him and knowing that he could be a starting point guard, brilliant stroke of genius. But if you read the piece on ESPN, that was like apparently Ben Alomar is the one who gave them that information, and they they listened to him. But he's the guy who actually had that inclination. He wrote about it and said that he did. That was his his idea, uh, and so. But yeah, that and then also finding Ibaka and then James Harden. These are guys who not everybody thought were going to be like the slam dunk picks that they picked them at. You know what's so an underrated an underrated what if in the history of the NBA, which was always underrated, but now is is blossoming into maybe top, a top 25 what if. It might even be a top 15 what if. I did a whole chapter on this in my book, and I, I think I would put it in there now in like the top 20. But they took James Harden over Steph Curry. And in the draft, I thought they were taking Curry. And I, you know, I would had watched that team because I loved Durant in college, loved Westbrook in college, so was rooting for them. They were like, oh, this, how much fun would it be if you put Curry on this team? I love Curry when he was in college. Right. And I think they thought about it. And I think they actually, I think Presti put real thought into it. And he liked the makeup of Harden as a supporting guy. Yeah. So Harden's one of those guys who doesn't want the limelight, he can fill a lot of stuff. I want Westbrook to play point guard. It might be weird with him and Curry. But can you imagine if they took Curry? I mean, seriously, Curry, can you imagine that? They would have let him go. He would have rode the bench, and then then, then, then Daryl Morey would have came in and stole him. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, Sam Presti just whipped a drink down. He's so upset. I mean, it's not really his. It's, 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 it's not that. I mean, he's handcuffed by his owners who are, you know, busy experiencing what happens when you completely rape a entire region's natural resources and <laughs> dig every last drop of oil that doesn't even exist anymore and pollute uh, they, so they, and then not spend on their basketball team. so it's like he's you know if he had an owner who was willing to spend he might be in a different situation he's it was but, five and a half million dollars you realize that right go yeah, back and read all the stories how many you know how many how many wells you have to drill to get five and a half million dollars nowadays with the price and and how many how many plots of land you have to buy from unsuspecting farmers so you can stick a, another well in their life? It's a lot of money. Five and a half million dollars is not a small amount of money. Harden wanted sixty, and they offered him fifty-four and a half. Yeah, and that was it. Um, yep. Wait, quickly, because we have two more things. Then you have to go. How, OKC are they like a legit contender to you? A fringe contender? Where are they in your head? They could. I mean, they are. 
it's really sad because if they had a decent, I mean, they've got the two, those two guys are like two of the top six guys in the league. I mean, Durant's probably number, he's in consider, he's for sure top four. He's maybe top three, right? He's behind Porzingis. He's behind LeBron and Curry. <laughs> so yeah, I have him four. <laughs> right. So, uh, and then Westbrook is, yeah, how, and that team could for sure. But then you look at their coach who doesn't understand like basic substitution patterns and doesn't know that, hey, we're down six with 31 seconds left. Maybe we might want to foul here. I don't know. It looks like the players aren't listening to him either. I think uh, the B-ball breakdown guy said that the shot, you know, Russell Westbrook, they called the play, came out of the timeout. This was like a last second shot when they were down. And apparently someone said that Russell Westbrook said, fuck that at the end of the play and ran his own play. And wow. shot like a 27-foot three-point shot. It was the craziest thing ever. He and loses his mind in crunch time sometimes. Maybe, but I think it was like it wasn't like in the heat of the moment. It was like, okay, we've called a plan the thing. Up, we've run yeah. the play. And the response was, fuck that. I'm, I'm doing this. And I don't, I don't know that a coach can survive that. I do think all. there's a real chance that 45 years from now, people will be studying – you know, they'll be online reading NBA stats and looking at stuff and reading things. And they're just going to be confused if OKC came out of this entire Durant-Westbrook um, era with one finals win, one one finals game win. And that's it. That's I mean, there's a chance now that that's how this plays out, which would, would be just that, insane. I would like, say that they're a favorite to, to not make the finals again. I mean, yeah. I don't know that Durant's – I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like him and Westbrook do get along, and they are buddies. But Well, uh, you know what's going to happen. They're, they're, Durant's going to stay for one year because it makes much more sense for him mm-hmm. and to, to time it when Westbrook leaves and give it more – it doesn't make enough sense for him to leave next season. I don't know why he would anyway. I, I don't think he would strand Westbrook. I think those guys have been – Look at the coaches that team is is hired too. Like Scott Brooks wasn't a hire; he was an uh, interim who became a head coach. Very like cost first, effective, right? The first coach they hired, the first Sam Presti hire for coach, was PJ Carlissimo, who played who Kevin Durant at shooting guard by one of his players than he is for anything else. <laughs> right. And he, remember, he played Kevin Durant at shooting guard for the entire I, season too. Yeah, yeah, I remember because I I yeah. was like I've talked about it's crazy. He was a terrible terrible hire for them awful and he was it's just it's crazy and then you look and then the other one they hired now they they went and they they got a college coach who wasn't even well known for being a great tactician at college now they've got it, it just seems it just i don't know who they could have hired but uh, apparently for the amount of I don't, what did they what, what are they paying him by the way what is donovan getting paid does anyone i think they might have ponied up for him but the 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 secret story with this is that Chicago screwed everybody with how they handled Tibbs. And they screwed Tibbs, too. They they put him on ice and waited till all the jobs got taken, and then they did what they did to him. They, I mean, right. really, really scumbaggy by them. But had they just gotten rid of him as soon as they got bounced from the playoffs, I think he's the OKC coach, and he's actually the perfect coach for that team. You know, yeah, because yeah, for sure. Is he still under contract, though, with Chicago? He's still under... I can't remember how it plays out, but I, I think there's a chance he could be heard from this season. I think you just would have to... Then Chicago would be off the hook for the rest yeah, of the yeah, money no, they own. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I just meant like they kind of screwed themselves too because I, they must really hate him if they decided we want to pay this guy Yeah, not let him work somewhere else. Oh, yeah. That was real. There was real animosity there. And they also took somebody that... I thought they should have traded him a year before. Like they could have traded him to Memphis or whoever. And yeah. 
and, and, uh, or Minnesota or, you know, whatever you want to do. One last question. Then I know you have to go. Um, I know you don't watch college, but the college guys are now in the draft. And I know you watch, I mean, in the league from the draft and I know you watch the league. What, what rookie, give me your top four rookies that you've just been like, whoa, because I think this is a great class. So who are your favorites? My t- I only have two that I've- You only have two? Of. Yeah. Okay. I've got uh, Towns. Towns is amazing. And I love Towns. And Porzingis. Those are the only, those are the only two players who I've, I'm, I'm, I might be missing some, I might be not. Maybe you can tell me and I could be like, oh yeah, you're right, that guy is good. But I don't, I don't recall it. You know who else I kind of like a little bit is that guy Phoenix has. He can play. Booker. He can shoot. Oh, well, is that his name? Devin Booker. Booker Tate says that's the only other, those are the only three rookies I've seen who I've been like, okay, these guys are not like massive negatives as soon as they come on the floor. And in the case of Porzingis, he's not, he's not just a negative. He's a positive. Yeah. Oh God. The Knicks fans are just taking off their clothes right now. They're so happy. They just can't even believe it. He's really good. Yeah. I love Porzingis. I will say that one team is going to, some team is going to, uh, I mean, you you can't crash the offensive boards that much and get away with it for like an entire season because you're just you're you're team, they they should be a really poor transition defense team based on how much he's crashing the offensive boards, but it's worked yeah. out well for him because he's not just crashing them, but he's also getting the ball. But he's I've never seen anyone with a nose for an offensive rebound like him. The and, types of offensive rebound he gets too, they're not just like they're he's diving over people and dunking on their heads. It's crazy. He's a franchise player potentially. And the other yeah. thing is with the threes, even when you run out on him, you can't he's just gonna shoot over you anyway. He's so fascinating. I, I love I love Porzingis. I really want to see him in person because that's the final stage for me because I I just wanna see how he runs. I feel like um you know that there's like the ghost whisperer and people who just have sixth sense for things. Yeah. I can watch NBA players run and automatically know how long they're gonna be around. I I remember watching Bynum. And Greg Oden was another one, but certain guys, you if if they're using like their elbows, those, yeah, and it's and you just and you, oh, you're like one man. of those dogs who can sniff cancer. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> who I am. But I'm the uh, I'm the long NBA career whisperer. But uh, Towns, I'm excited to see. Towns is really everything you're looking for from a young forward. He does all the things you love, basically. Yeah, and he seems like a good kid too. Both these guys seem like if you listen yes. to their interviews, they seem like they're well spoken. They're smart. They're they're just, they're not, they just seem like they're, they're really respectful of, they understand how much work it's going to take. And they understand, like, I just like both of them a lot. Who are some of the ones then that I'm missing that? Well, that are good? Okafer was put on a platter to torture you. I, I don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a good offensive game and he's stuck on a team that's, but he's, I don't know. He just seems like a. Yeah, he's all right, actually. He's got a good offensive game. He hasn't defended at all, and he doesn't rebound, which is kind of bad when that's your starting power forward. But You can call him a more, if you want to call him a more polished Enos Cantor, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. No, he's not that bad. Okay. No one is bad as him. That guy's the worst, for sure. <laughs> so who are uh, the other guys, then, aside from Okafor? I think you need to take a long look at, at the stuff Justice Winslow is doing. Um, oh, yeah. Defense nope. and athletic, nope. and athletic ability. Yeah. I was looking at starters. And yeah, yeah, he's, he's a, I tweeted about him too. I tweeted how good he was. He's a good defensive player for sure. Yeah. He has a chance to be one of the, I don't know if he can get to the Kawhi level, 
but I think he can get like one notch below that yeah. is his defensive oh, ceiling where just being able to guard all types of players. Like he could guard, go from Steph Curry all the way up to, I don't know, not Aldridge, not that size, but you know what I mean? Like he, he mm-hmm. anywhere from six feet to six, eight, he could probably defend. I forgot about him and I try not to watch Miami Heat games just because I I think the offense that they run is just so painful to watch. It's like the second most painful offense to watch in the league, so I don't I try not to watch their games. Yeah, I but wonder I did, we might have overrated Spolstra. A big Grantland supporter, so it hurts me to say that, but it, it, it as it turns out it just might be really good to have LeBron James in his prime on your team if you're an offensive coach. Might might really make you look better. He's a good defensive coach. Look, he was he an assistant under under Riley and and then under Riley's assistance. So he's 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 not an offensive mastermind by any stretch of the imagination, but uh or an innovator, but the type of defense they play is is good. It's locked down. But just their offense, they just have too many actions. It takes them too long to get into like a simple post up for Dwayne Wade. We're talking about two dribble handoffs, three three weaves, and then you've got five seconds left on the shot clock and Dwayne Wade's got the ball ISO on the wing. And it's just it's that times a hundred every game. Every offensive possession of theirs has some function of that. Just nothing ever flows fast, ever. I uh, Winslow is is a favorite. Hazonia we just haven't seen yet, but I, I think he has a chance to be a really, yeah, he's really. Good. There's some. I like Hazonia. There's some other guys that are good, but like in terms of like great. Yeah, we're talking about the ones who really you think about like, oh, these guys are next up and coming superstars. I think the only two I would classify in that would be like even Winslow. I'm not going to call him a superstar. No, and he's he's just going to be a good player. But no, yeah, but he could say. be he could be the third best player on a championship team, I think, and possibly yeah. even the second best player. He's got to be his offense has to get. He better. He could be but. like a, yeah, like you said, like a Paul along lines of a Paul George or a or a or a Kawhi Leonard. But uh, I haven't. I mean, his defense is good. I haven't seen much polish for his offensive game yet. Yeah. All right, you have to go. We can continue this in a couple of weeks. This was great, though. A great start for us on the on the new BS podcast. Uh, happy, happy to be a part of it. Check you out at. At, I don't even want any more Twitter followers, so don't mention my Twitter. No, nah, I'm going to give you a couple yeah. more. At Haralabob. Uh, <laughs> now, I I feel like over Christmas is when you really get heated up because teams haven't learned from their mistakes in November, and then you just start getting angry and surly and snarky about stuff Absolutely. that's happening. I had a pretty surly start to the season, I will say. You, you did? <laughs> I will say that. I was pretty miserable to start the season. So. All right. Thanks, buddy. Always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. All right, Bill. Take care. All right, we're going to call my buddy house to get Thanksgiving picks and uh, talk about Ben Simmons for a second. We're going to do that one quick. But before we do that, with so many different bank accounts, credit cards, and passwords to remember, it's harder than ever to keep track of your money these days. Well, that's what makes Personal Capital's free financial tools so important. They show you all of your accounts in one place, making it easy to manage finances, track investments, and grow your net worth. And it's all in real time. You'll also get other powerful free tools, including, listen to this, an investment checkup tool that analyzes your portfolio. You get a fee analyzer to identify hidden fees that could delay your retirement, and you get the most sophisticated retirement calculator available. You can even speak to a financial advisor and get personalized portfolio guidance at a lower cost. See why Macworld calls personal capital, quote, the best free finance tracking app available, unquote. Just go to personalcapital.com slash BS to link your accounts. And in seconds, you'll have your own personal financial dashboard. You'll also get three months of free advisory services if you enroll right now. That's personalcapital.com slash BS. 
And now, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Joe House. All right, as promised, Thanksgiving picks with my buddy Joe House. We, we This is an abbreviated Joe House this week because we're taping this on a Tuesday and we we have Thursday, Friday off, so we're just going to go fast this week. How you doing? I mean, it's really good that this is abbreviated. Why? Because I don't feel good. What happened? You called me uh, a couple hours ago and said, hey, here's the time. We're going to get together. I was like, great, I'm going to go have lunch. Oh, no. Well, uh... Very close to my office, the great chef Dave Chang um, oh. has opened a Momofuku DC. Uh oh, Momofuku CC DC. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's a good. Let me go try this. You know, it's holiday uh, week here. Maybe it'll be quiet. I'll be able to walk right in. And in fact, had no trouble getting in there. <clears throat> you know how I like to do. I had a couple buddies with me. Mm. I sat down. We we ordered the whole menu. Oh no. I mean. I just like to try everything. I want to. I want to see it. I want to smell it. I want to try it all. Um, so, so, so can you give us a little more details or no? It's four. It's three salads. It's four different types of buns. You know, he's famous for the buns, the pork yeah. buns, the pork belly, the brisket. Uh, there was a shrimp one. There was a mushroom one, and then there were seven different um, types of entrees: a couple ramen soup dishes, a couple noodle dishes. There was a pork shoulder in there. Uh, there was even a vegetarian meatball. I had all of it. Um, I am, uh, you know, happy to say there were some leftovers. I didn't eat every single morsel of food. And it, this, in 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 uh, anticipation <laughs> it's of like Thanksgiving, you're drunk right now. But look, it's going to be this way. I didn't know that this was going to happen. <laughs> The funniest thing is walking in there. You know, I know that, that um, you and, and Chang have a mutual admiration society. Yeah. I went in there thinking I would say hi. He was standing right near the front of the restaurant. But he was in kind of an intense conversation, so I didn't want to interrupt him. And uh, the conversation kept going. Uh, the guy he was talking to turned to walk away. Chang takes a, hu- a big metal tray, slams it down, big F-bomb. Chang is intense. He is not allowing any half-stepping. He's a, he's a D.C. guy, and he's trying to deliver to D.C. his high standards of food. Big F-bomb. I turned and ran right for my table. <laughs> I know. No chance I'm going to try and say hi to the great Dave Chang under these circumstances. So I was at a party in September, and, and Chang was there. We never actually interacted, and our friend Chen was there. And, you know, Chen was the guy who introduced me to Yang Chow's we filmed House Eats 2 at Yang Chow's. It's the best Chinese food place in Los Angeles. I always thought we were on this, all on the same team with Yang Chow, how great it was. So Chen, Chris Chen, is with Chang, and there we're talking about Chinese food in America and his restaurants, and I was talking about Yang Chow. Chen turned on Yang Chow. I was there. I oh. saw it. He's going to deny it to his death, but he, him and Chang, they, they, there was like an eye lock, and, and Chen's like... No, Yang Chao's great. It's a great American Chinese food. Like, he had to throw in the American. Whoa. Like, it wasn't on the par with, like, you know, the old school, whatever. I've never been more hurt in my life, and I have no problem telling this story in my podcast. Only a qualified, yeah, wow, how about that? But here's what happened after. So I immediately went to our friend Hershey about it. Yep. About how Chen turned on Yang Chao. Because Hershey, the top three things in his life are like his family, the Dodgers, and Yang Chao. Yeah. And 
and uh, and Chen denied the conversation ever happened. No. So now, come my, on, Christian. So now my choice is: Do I bring Chang into this whole thing to get Chang to confirm that the conversation happened? Chen's playing both sides of the fence. Is what he was doing. I don't think he wanted his his chef buddy David Chang, one of the best cooks, chefs, and restaurateurs in America, to think that he liked another restaurant. So the more I think about it, I think Chen still loves Yang Chow's. I'm sure Chang still loves uh, Chen Chow, I mean. still loves Yang Chow. Yeah, we, we 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 when we filmed the house eats there, he Chen sat went. there with us and enjoyed a delicious meal. Of yeah, so, course, he still loves it. So my guess is like Chang is his is his Asian food wife basically, and I was bringing up this other girl that 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 Chen had been on a few dates with, and Chen was trying to make Chang feel better about the whole situation, but really his heart is still with Yang Chao as well. Yeah, I, that's what I, think I want the takeaway to be. You know what I mean? I bet Chen felt the pressure also of like Yang Chao has become sort of underground popular. Yeah. And uh, in the company of, of a food great like Chang, you have you you can't um, uh, say I love McDonald's, right? Yeah. The, the 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 contrary move there is to you know look down on the place that's become sort of underground popular. If once you know it gets they, that hipster flavor, you got to look down on it. The only problem with that analogy is that you just compared Yang Chao to McDonald's, and I think you should be electrocuted. <laughs> you get, you get that's what I'm the one of the worst. That's the single worst thing I've ever heard you say. You just compared Yang really Chao to com- McDonald's. I didn't compare the two. At he all. did. You, you used you an analogy that, that Yang Chao was McDonald's in the analogy. That's what happened. <laughs> that's not. That's that's disingenuous. In any event. It was an outstanding meal. I'm not sure how long I have before I have to go lay down. So we should blast through these NFL picks. I will say it was great preparation for Thursday, though. The good news is uh, our gardeners right outside the door. It was a Tuesday tradition on the old BS (laughs) podcast of the gardener. He's like, where's Bill? Is there a microphone? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get the lawnmower going 10 feet away. Uh, All right. Eagles. Eagles. By the way, David Chang, we should mention... Um, where are the restaurants? Let's give them a plug. It's it's right here in City Center. It's Momofuku, D.C. It's called CCDC, City Center, D.C. Uh, and he's got the milk bar. Um, his uh, his legitimate, um, she, he's not married to her, but his his dessert wife, as it were. Yeah. He has a place in the same space here, um, right downtown. And he's got one Washington, in New York. D.C. Oh, he's got he's got he's got an empire. He's got it in Toronto. He's got them everywhere. Where where can I'm gonna. F- there's going to be some sort of HBO now something with with him. We're going to figure out. I I want to figure out a way that is there a way for him to just keep feeding you until you actually die? Like how how close would we have to come for you to actually die without you I, dying? Like your heart would stop, that. but we'd revive you. I don't want that. I'm not interested. No, you'd, in that. you'd live eventually. It would be like you'd be you'd be you'd be you'd be technically dead. It's like when people well, die and they come I, back. I don't want to be any dead. I don't want. We'd revive you at the end. The whole point is you'd be revived. I, I mean, I'm happy to enjoy a delicious meal, but and by the way, we'd be able to compare notes uh, about our, our love for the Washington football team, team who were cheated. By the, the worst officiating crew. I mean, this can you imagine what is going on with the NFL and the referees? I know. The How about the Pats? Terrible. Did you see the Pats? We had a of touchdown call back that a whistle that there was nobody knew why there was a whistle, and it's not like the league just spent the last year trying to railroad our best player. I'm sure there was nothing in common with those two events. Um, well, it, 
it gives every fan base a, a conspiracy theory. I mean, the, the the one that's running around here is that because of the the name of the DC professional football team, yeah. the, the the racist slur uh, nickname, that um, the refs have it in for for the for the locals here. They don't give them any breaks. No no benefit of the doubt for the professional football team. Um, Thursday, twelve thirty Eastern time, Philadelphia is a pick 'em with the Detroit Lions. Who do you have? I got Detroit. I think I do too. And it, and it, I, and it's going to make me hate myself by 11 o'clock PT. I'm going to I'm going to be in full self-hatred mode. Why? Why you have to talk yourself into Mark Sanchez to to take Philly. That, that's good. That made me feel better. Thanks, us. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm not taking Mark Sanchez. In You're not a taking Mark Sanchez. Thursday game ever. Uh, no. Carolina is a one-point favorite now in Dallas. That line in Dallas was favored for a little bit. Now it's kind of where it should be. It's I think that ends up probably at Carolina by two and a half maybe, but right now it's, it's seems- one. Who do you like in that? I like Carolina. Really? They've- so you think Dallas' season is over? Because if their season's over, if they lose that game. Oh, I, oh, eight and eight is still in play to win the NFC East. Don't think for a second that it's not. Yeah, but they're not winning five straight. I, it's happened before. The the D.C. professional football team did it three years ago. Five straight and, and won the NFC East. I like Dallas. It can happen. I think Dallas wins that one. I, I'm, I'm fine with um, Dallas uh, winning. I, this, this narrative of, of uh, Romo um, being the savior is, is too rich. I, I enjoy it thoroughly. So um, I don't care. I hate Dallas. I can't, under any circumstances, root for them. Um, but I... I I was really impressed by Carolina. Um, they put the pedal down. I thought they got a couple breaks. There was two consecutive possessions. What about the, the random? Was, you know, as a break was when the defensive back popped Greg Olson. The ball went in the air, and he ran for a touchdown. You were up seven for about a half a second until they, they ruled that it was somehow an illegal hit, which I still don't understand. That's that's the Jerome Bogar special. That's what made Dave Chang take that big metal plan, slam it down, and yell <laughs> F-bomb. That's what I yelled in my living room. It made me so mad. It ruins my Sunday afternoon. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon. I thought I'm going to sit here watching football. Finally, enjoy his quiet in my house. Yeah. It ruined the day. It's like I I can't get over this. If if one officiating crew calls so many more penalties than anybody else and interprets the rules in a way that the rest of the referee crews don't, and it's clear from the evidence that I have investigated since that that is the case with this Boger crew. It's bogus, and it hurts the product. Now, on the other hand, Daniel Snyder is the owner of my local team, so yeah, I mostly so you don't get care, but deserve. still, yeah. Jerome Boger, anyway. just when you see him in the first three minutes, you just know. You just know. You just know. It's like, oh, okay, got it. I know and, where and this look, is this, heading. That wasn't enough for um, this, this game in the first half against Carolina. After that um, game-altering play, Washington had another possession where they were moving the ball, driving, and uh, Kirk Cousins, they called a great um, uh, kind of uh, bootleg sweep. He ran the ball all the way down to the three-yard line. A, a, a terrible holding penalty on the tight end 20 yards downfield. Both of his hands inside the chest of the guy. Oh, okay. um, not even close to a holding. Um, took it away, and that was it. That was the game, really. I'm sorry, House. The good I mean, news it's so is, rare that I have an opportunity to give a give a rat's ass about them, and they were competitive. The game was fourteen fourteen, you know, go, going in halfway through the second quarter. It was like, like, look, you know, 
there's a chance. The good news is Sal and I had a conversation on the podcast yesterday. Would you rather have Matt Ryan or Kirk Cousins? We both picked Matt Ryan, but at least that's that's a positive. That's a positive. Yeah, I agree. That's good Look, for you. Cousins and Gruden are kind of made for each other. I don't uh, know. I don't know what the takeaway is, but they're made for each other. Third pick is uh, Packers minus nine at home against the Chicago Bears. I'm just telling you what I'm thinking here. Go ahead. I watched the Bears very closely. We had the Bears-Broncos in the big screen. You can't even describe how bad their skill position guys are. Everyone's hurt. They have guys like this guy. I watched with Mays, diehard Bears fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Who's now at MMQB, right? Yeah, he went to MMQB. Good for Mays. Yeah. Good for Mays. Awesome. I love Mays. Yeah. Um, so the guy Mark Mariani came in, who was like a punt returner, white sure. guy. So I always sure. get excited when I see white receivers slash kick returners because it's like we had so much success with Welker and Edelman and Amendola. It's really Belichick's corner, right? It's like how Robert De Niro loves black women. Like <laughs> Belichick just gravitates toward these specific white guys. That was a funny joke. Come on. I deserved a snicker at least. I, I laughed. You didn't hear me laugh? Okay. Uh, so I saw this Mark Mariano, or whatever his name is. I'm like, oh, who's this guy? Looks like he'd be good in the Pats in two years. And Maze is like, he's awful. He's absolutely oh. horrendous. Whoa. I was like, is he like a homeless man's walker? He's like, no, not even that. He's not even a homeless man's walker. And, uh, and that was like their lead slot guy in the last half of that Bears game. And still the Bears were in it. Yeah, and, and still they were in it and probably should have won. I mean, Cutler was bringing them down inside the red zone over and over again, and they just didn't have the skill guys to actually make a play. They just so, couldn't make They needed one play, and they couldn't make it. So I'm extremely concerned about them uh, in Green Bay on short rest where in a game where they'd have to play from behind. I like the Packers, and I actually think there's, there's a Packers. Who is the other team? Uh... Packers. Oh, there it is. Oh, see, I can't throw Andy Dalton in the tees. Forget it. I'm just going to bet the Packers straight up. So it's nine, right? Right. The, the only thing that concerns me, it's very easy for me, and I, I expected it two weeks ago against Detroit. Green Bay at home trying to right the ship. So they yeah. waited a week and did it at Minnesota. I'm really mad at them for waiting a week. Um because I got their their I got them wrong two consecutive weeks. For some reason, they all of a sudden have a pass rush, no sacks whatsoever in the three losses, and six sacks this past Sunday against the Vikings. They're putting hats in the ball house. <laughs> I was impressed. I I didn't think their defense could do that either, but it seemed like uh, the whole game they were flying around, like they were really concerned with Peterson, uh, just taking him out, and they they were going after Bridgewater constantly. <laughs> You know what would be so interesting? The only, the only, go ahead. Packers down to three. Vikings up to eight against Atlanta. Oh. Oh, I, I anybody against Atlanta. Atlanta is, is, sucks. I, I, I love all, immediately. That team stinks. They stink. They stink. They stink, stink. That's they, why you could have a conversation about Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins. They stink, as, mu- they stink as much as your office is going to stink over the next four oh, hours as you, as you digest the, David Chang. The best dish... Uh, that I that I sampled this afternoon, kimchi stew, oh. which is pickled cabbage. It's it was uh, an enormously rich dish. It had so many ingredients in it. The basic kimchi is 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 pickled cabbage, but uh, 
there was beef in there, there was uh, noodles in there, there was all kinds of vegetables. I mean, that that's going to be my go-to when I get sick, when I when I when I have a cold. I, I need I need to be restored. That's that's my new res- restoration dish. It sounds delicious. I was, like it was uh, magnificent. A couple other games I like Monday night Cleveland minus two and a half against Baltimore. I'm just writing off Baltimore. I don't, I don't think well, they should be. I, they shouldn't be getting less. But they, but they shouldn't be getting less than three points against any team in the league. They have no I skill mean, guys left. Everyone's gone. They have starting Matt Schaub. Some running back I've never heard of. All their receivers are gone. Like, it's over. They started with a 53-man schedule uh, uh, roster on uh, you know the first week of September. And of those 53, um, seven are left. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a horror movie. That was the stat I saw. So, it's, it's been terrible for them. So I have them. Uh, I like the Giants in Washington. I know I'm going to lo- end up losing money on it. But Giants minus two and a half. It has all the makings of the classic Eli just just doing what he does, just ramming a red-hot poker up everyone's ass who bet on him in a time when the Giants fans trust him and just him swerving the other way like he does. He's like a cat. It, I mean, it's an NFC East. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's for the lead in the NFC East, potentially. That's the thing. If it was three and a half, I'd be worried. The two and a half, they just got to win by a field goal. Yeah. So I, I feel good about that. And then... uh Jacksonville minus four against San Diego. Can we? I wrote off San Diego three weeks ago, and they're still getting like a modicum of respect. I'm not sure they should be getting less than six points against anybody. When's the last time Jacksonville was favored by more than three points? It was, I, we were in college. I don't. Was, <laughs> I mean, have they ever been favored by more than three points? I don't know. The answer has to be yes. Well, I'm not probably when Fred Taylor was there. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I also like yeah. Pittsburgh plus four in Seattle. I like that Pittsburgh team. I like that Pittsburgh team too. I think uh, they're going to be able to throw on Seattle. Can't you see Bryant and Brown just running a mock on the uh, the deceased Legion of Boom? And the extra rest should be helpful, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, quickly, did you see Ben Simmons last night? You just saw the end. I saw the end. Can you yeah. watch him tonight? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down. I've already blocked it off on the calendar. I've told my wife I have to be left alone. She'll be happy to accommodate that because I don't smell good right now. Would, would, uh, would it be weird if we had the Ben Simmons podcast on the Bill Simmons Podcast Network, where it was just every week people had to talk about Ben Simmons and how great he's going to be? For we're going to talk minutes? BS on the BSPN. Is that what we're going to do? <laughs> uh, could we get a 40-minute podcast every week from just two people talking about how great Ben Simmons is? I've... Well, first of all, yeah, we could because his game is going to evolve. You know right now he's shooting 15% from mid-range. I know. He doesn't – the funny well, thing no, is – Well, no, don't say it's sad like that. He he doesn't have the confidence yet because he's he's a kid. He's a young kid. He's learning – I know. He's going to evolve in front of our eyes. It's going to be glorious. And what I noticed last night that I was just stunned by was people backpedaling when he's dribbling up with the ball. He's 6'10". And it's the same thing like Magic. I could never figure out why everyone was so terrified of him. But something about the way he plays basketball that defenders are just in constant fear that they're going to get their ankles broken. And they're just moving backwards. Ben Simmons is... He's dribbling forward, and got, and defenders are just drifting backwards, like instinctively, like they're just scared the whole time. So let, once he learns how to this. pull up jumper, it's over. It's I'm not. It's, this isn't a hot take. It's just a question. Yeah, don't. Is, don't. is he already 
the best Australian basketball player, the best basketball player ever from Australia? Yes. Oh, oh you didn't even wait. No, he, he 100% is. He's, he's the best. So yes. That has him ahead of Dante Exum. It has him ahead of Andrew Bogut. It has him ahead of Patty Mills. It has I have him a hot ahead take. Of I think he has a chance to be the best college freshman. Just, I'm not even talking about pro prospect. Just like start to finish college freshman season. Carmelo, I think, is the gold standard. Yes, Carmelo is. So he'd have to win the title to match that. Carmelo is still going to be the gold standard, but I think he has a chance to have the best start to finish freshman season since Carmelo. So uh, we love Durant, but but Durant didn't win the title. Yeah, and he also had a horrendous coach who had no idea where to play him and how to use him, and it was always so frustrating to watch this guy who was clearly like this one of a kind freak offensive player. Like, and we, you and I would just be on the phone. It was pre podcast. It was just we just couldn't stop talking about it. I was like, oh my god, who, this guy's six ten and he shoots threes and he's like plastic man. The uh, rebounds were, were, was what was so impressive, and that's what with Simmons last night. Uh, I not having seen the game, but reading the, the twenty rebounds is the thing that's so impressive. Yeah, I mean the the rebounding, the passing gene, which is clearly there. I mean, it's we don't yeah. even have to talk about that. He's also really some of the things he does in a game, like a rebound is going, and he could try to jump over the guy's back to get it, but he's smart enough to know not to do that because he doesn't want to get the foul. It's stuff that nineteen-year-olds don't know how to do. But he already knows and, how to do it, you know? Yeah, because he's athletic enough. Um, it's a combination of the smarts and the athleticism to go get those balls without getting fouled. Yeah, he, I guess he picks his spots, Yeah, which freshmen don't pick their spots. Freshmen run around like chickens with their heads cut off. Even Davis is a freshman. And you and I really like Davis. I mean, not, not rocket science to like him, but I remember we started talking about him in, like, January. Like, oh. That's right. What's it? Is this guy a little Duncany crossed with McHale? Like we started having those conversations pretty early. I'm much more excited about Ben Simmons than I was about Davis. Well, because Ben Simmons has the ball in his hands, and you trust him to have the ball in his hands. That he's going to be incredible with the ball in his hands in the National Basketball Association. Right. Um, all right, House. Wait, Go. we have a, we have we have uh, three more lines to cover. The most important lines of the week. What are they? Controversial. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet potato pie, yeah. minus one twenty-five over pumpkin. Oh, where are you? Where are you? I like sweet potato for Thanksgiving. Yeah, how about that? Sweet potato, you know, pumpkin is the tradition, but but those in the know, that's why sweet potato is a slight favorite over pumpkin. Here's the problem slight with favorite, sweet potato: um, harder harder pie to pull off correctly. I agree with that, too. I mean, people can, anyone can make a pumpkin pie, and it can be decent, and it tastes mostly like the other pumpkin pies. But what it really comes down to is basically potato versus versus gourd, potato versus squash, right? right. Nobody takes squash over potato. Um, what was your I, next line? My mom's Italian and a pasta at lunchtime, minus 200 over the dinner turkey. My mom makes a spectacular spread of Italian meats and cheeses and olives and uh, all, all kinds of other vegetables. The, the secret in our household is everybody in, in, in my family goes crazy for the antipasta, and by the time the dinner turkey rolls around, it's like, ah, 
it's a vehicle for for uh, some for the gravy and the stuffing and, and a little bit of mashed potatoes. That's all the turkey's there for. I'll go. I'll go further. <laughs> turkey overrated. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Go ahead. It it has stuff in it that makes you tired after you eat it. What's fun about that? The 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 best thing about the turkey is the next day. So this is my final line. Yeah. Five and a half is the number. Sandwiches I'm gonna have. Turkey sandwiches I'm gonna have Over. on Friday. Over. Five and a, whoa whoa whoa. Yeah. You, you didn't even hesitate. You know what? The nice turkey? thing about turkey the next day is you can put all kinds of stuff on it. I'm gonna have a sriracha turkey sandwich. Yeah. I'm gonna have um, one that that that's. Uh, I'm gonna have a turkey sandwich melt. I'm gonna make my own little turkey enchilada. Uh, I got a lot of different ideas for the turkey on Friday. Turkey is basically chicken if somebody put quaaludes in it. That's my take on turkey. I just rather have chicken. It's too bad we can't make Thanksgiving chicken. Steve Carell, that's a great line. Thank you. House, enjoy Thanksgiving. I always love any holiday that's built around eating uh, and the thought of you, you involved both, in it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Talk to you next week. Good job, buddy. Thanks to Personal Capital, a great way to track your money with the best financial tools imaginable. Monitor all your accounts in one place, manage finances, track investments, plan your retirement, and grow your net worth in real time. Just go to personalcapital.com BS. To link your accounts, you'll also get three months of free advisory services if you enroll right now. That's personalcapital.com BS. Thanks to SeatGeek our presenting sponsor that just launched a new platform called SeatGeek Marketplace that allows you to buy and sell event tickets. Learn more at SeatGeek.com slash BS. And thanks to Untuckit.com for finally solving one of the biggest problems in men's fashion, fashionable shirts that are specifically designed to be worn untucked. If you live in Manhattan, go to their store on 129 Prince Street in Soho. And if you don't live in Manhattan, go to Untuckit.com and learn why GQ called these untucked shirts perfection. Use the promo code BS15 for 15% off all your purchases. Stay tuned. We got one more podcast coming uh, tomorrow, Wednesday. Michael B. Jordan in the house. We'll be talking to him. And uh, after that, enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday. Thanks for listening as always. Thanks for supporting the BS Podcast. We are heading toward 13 million downloads, uh, which should happen by Thanksgiving, which is amazing because we are not even at the two-month mark yet. Thanks for spreading the word. You can go to BillSimmonsPodcast.com to catch up on any podcast you might have missed definitely sign up for uh subscriptions on itunes and or stitcher and or soundcloud if you haven't done that already and uh enjoy the holiday we about this bitch anytime y'all want to see me again rewind this track right here close your eyes and picture me rolling